15 and the verses at the end of the chapter from verse 25. Let's just read through them one more time. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Paul very often poses challenges for those who preach the gospel. Uh, when he gives you a paragraph like that, that's just one sentence that's packed full of various uh, emphases. And you can see that he is here caught up in praise to God. He very frequently, as you know, finishes his uh, uh, epistles, his letters with what we call doxologies, which is just an ascription of praise or attributing of praise to God. And this is one that is longer than usual. Uh, it doesn't often come to that sort of stretched out sentence, but it's important to notice the, the features of it and we'll go through it uh, very quickly. But the one thing you do notice here is that it's very, very like the introduction to Romans. And if you compare the two passages, the uh, passage in chapter one, as we read at the very beginning of chapter one, and compare that, uh, you can do it when you've got more time yourselves as well, but uh, they're very similar in their emphasis. In fact, the same topics pretty much are dealt with in the first uh, opening paragraph of Romans, as you have here in the concluding paragraph. It's about God, it's about the gospel, it's about Jesus Christ, and it's about the way in which that has come to be revealed to us, having uh, had the revelation previously of the Old Testament as well. But to this particular paragraph at the end of Romans, we can say that uh, God and the gospel of Jesus Christ are set before us in relation to three things. Um, you might pick out some others as well, but we focus on these three tonight. There's the emphasis on strengthening, spiritual strengthening. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and so on. There's an emphasis too on evangelizing. It's not actually said to be evangelizing, but you can see the way that uh, he talks about how things have been disclosed through the prophetic writings and made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. In other words, the proclamation of the gospel, the disseminating of the gospel, the testifying of the church to the gospel in the time of Paul and since then is something that is here built into the passage and very importantly is brought before us as an ongoing requirement of God's church by the command of God himself. And the third thing, of course, is praise. Uh, the passage comes to uh, conclude, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's look at these and go through the passage in turn. As I say, it's somewhat difficult just to get a stopping or a breathing spot before you move on to the next topic or next part of the topics that he's dealing with. So the strengthening, first of all, now unto him is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Now the word for strengthen there is elsewhere, uh, uh, elsewhere translated 
in the New Testament as established. And Paul is talking about coming to be established in our faith, established in our relationship with God, in our relationship one with another, in our relationship with the truth of God in the gospel itself. Uh, being established is really sometimes um, portrayed as setting down roots. I think we mentioned this on Lord's Day morning, um, being rooted and grounded in Christ. And the two images that you have there are uh, a plant or a tree that's coming to set down roots for its stability, for its establishment, and then also uh, built up. It's the imagery of a building that's being uh, put together in the structure of it so as to be strong against whatever forces and stresses it has to bear. And these two images really apply to the Christian's development and indeed the development of Christians together of the church of God, established, rooted, grounded, all of these words tell us that here is something really important. Remember, Paul was, in most of his letters, to, uh, he was writing to uh, relatively young churches, churches that were uh, full of young believers who had come mostly from paganism, though some came, of course, from a Jewish background as well. Um, but they were actually in need of being established. They didn't have many of them, uh, certainly those who came from a pagan background, they didn't have the knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't have the knowledge of uh, these promises of God, the revelation of the Old Testament. It was a very quick learning curve for them, if you like, as they were led into the teaching of uh, salvation in Christ by the likes of the Apostle Paul. You may remember that uh, Paul himself actually engaged in this kind of thing. Just to give you one example of that, if you uh, refer to uh, Acts chapter 18 and at verse, uh, verse uh, 23, you can see there how uh, on his travels, Paul actually uh, went to Corinth, as you know. We saw recently how he addressed the Areopagus in, uh, in, uh, in Athens. And you see in verse chapter 18, he comes to uh, uh, Corinth, he left Athens, he went to Corinth, and then towards the end of the chapter, uh, you see the rest of his journey at that stage described. And when you come to verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. That was his aim. That was his business. He went around these places, strengthening the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ. They needed strengthening for so many reasons, and they were being strengthened, as he says here in Romans, at the end of Romans, being strengthened through the gospel, through Paul's preaching of the gospel and teaching of the gospel. And that's really uh, important for us always to remember as well. Uh, we are strengthened, certainly, in our individual relationship with God. We need to be strengthened there as we deal uh, personally with God, as individual Christians, in our own personal relationship with the Savior. But very often, you'll find in the, in the writings of Paul and the other apostles, that there's actually more emphasis on the development of God's people as a body, as a body together as Christians, as they develop in their understanding of their salvation, of, of, the, of, the, of the, the doctrine of God and of Christ and salvation, it is together that they learn and come to be established. And this means we need each other 
although we need God first and foremost, but we need each other for our establishment and for our growth in uh, the knowledge of God. Um, and here in verse, uh, you find um, that he is saying he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. But you notice it is God who does the establishing. While we need each other to a certain extent, while it's a privilege and indeed it's a benefit to be together as we are this evening, uh, we need these regular meetings in order to share with each other our progress in the gospel and to come through the gospel to, to grow in that respect. But it is God, him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And you see how all that hangs together. It is God who does the strengthening. The word here is closely related to our, our English word dynamic or dynamism. And it means really the power of God, the energy that God himself has. That is how we come to be established. It's the energy of God. It's the Holy Spirit. It is God through his Holy Spirit uh, using his power to establish us, to bring us to be more and more rooted in, in Christ and in our development of growth from that. But yes, it's God who strengthens you, but you see, it's according to my gospel. It's not God outside of the gospel. It's not God strengthening us, and then the gospel is doing something else. He is strengthening according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Somebody mentioned in prayer, one of the brothers in prayer mentioned already this evening, the privilege of being together, the necessity of being together, and how we come under preaching of the word even on a night like this. And that's our intention. That's why I have the midweek prayer meeting. It's not just for prayer. Um, some people think it might be better with having more prayer, but certainly my own aim and the aim of others like me, I think, is to have this meeting in the middle of the week where we're able to hopefully give uh, the kind of teaching from God's word that is not primarily evangelistic, but a building. The kind of teaching that really goes towards the establishing of, of people in their faith, in their relationship with God. Because that's what he's saying. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. God, who has the dynamism to strengthen you, but it's according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is really about, as well as for the awakening of people to faith. And that's exactly what you find in the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of Romans as well. If you recall, that's the opening, uh, the opening, uh, the, the opening of, of teaching in, in, in the epistle, uh, where you just find that same emphasis on the gospel, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son. What is the substance of the gospel? The substance of the gospel is not uh, a philosophic teaching. The substance of the gospel is not even the doctrine of justification, important though that is. The substance of the gospel is the person of Jesus, the person of Christ himself in his person and work as the Savior. 
That is Paul saying to the Romans at the beginning and at the end of, of this letter. It's according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ as the substance of the gospel, the core of the gospel. Everything in the gospel message, everything in the gospel that's contained in it is built around the person, the central doctrine, the foundational doctrine of Christ himself. Now, that's uh, so important for us here this evening. Because, as we said earlier, this is really one of the purposes the, for which we gather. Of course, we gather primarily to worship God, but within the worship of God, you have the preaching of the gospel. You have praying to God, and along with that, you have uh, the, the people of God as a fellowship sharing together in that experience. And sadly, a lot of people don't see the need for attending a midweek meeting. I don't know why that is. Uh, it's sad, really, from my point of view, certainly, because this passage itself makes it clear that when we come in the middle of the week, as was described in one of the prayers, as an oasis, we're traveling through a desert. We're traveling through the desert of this world. And that desert out there of this world is so arid. You've only got to look at and listen to the pronouncements of the world, to the pronouncement even of some of our political leaders, to the pronouncements of what you find in terms of the world's philosophy and that sort of worldview that's anti-Christian. You've only got to listen to that for a few moments to realize we're walking through a desert. We need to be established. We need to be established by the gospel, by the power of God, so that we grow in the knowledge of God, so that we're able to face the temptations the world throws at us, that we're able to overcome the things that the world is full of, and that we're able to have a, a path through the deserts that's fueled by the power of God. This is why we come to be together like this. And see if you can persuade others to actually join us in this particular meeting, because in the middle of the week, it is so important. It's a long way from one Sabbath, one Lord's Day to the next, spiritually speaking. I might say it's only six days, seven days. But when you add up the number of hours that we spend under the word and especially under the preaching of the word, what do we have? We have something like 30 to 40 minutes each end of a Lord's Day, an hour and a half at the very most of the word preached. Midweek, we have, say, half an hour. And look at all the voices and look at all the other things that you have to contend with through the week. We need the power of God, the dynamism of God. We need this oasis in the middle of the week. And we would love to see more of these pews filled. And uh, if you are watching online, I'm saying this so often, and we realize that our live stream and our Zoom is so important for those who simply cannot get to the services, whether it's midweek or Lord's Day. But uh, nevertheless, if those, uh, for those who can actually be together, undoubtedly that's the emphasis of Scripture, that, we've, that we come together, as the Scripture often puts it, to worship the Lord, Lord's Day and midweek or wherever. So he is saying here now to him who is able. He wants to get to the point of praising him at the end of the passage. It's just, it's just so typical of Paul, isn't it? He's, he's just drawn away by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit fills his mind and fills his heart. Um, he's led into this long string of, uh, of uh, 
connected topics, connected points that he puts together. Eventually, he gets to, uh, to the only wise God, be glory forever and more uh, through Jesus Christ. But he begins now unto him who is able. And then you've got all of these things in between before he reaches the point that he wants to get to. But you're thankful to God tonight, and I'm thankful to God tonight, that he has taken that distance to reach the end of the passage because it's so filled with precious truths. And he says, it's according to the gospel, my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. But then he goes further back. He says, that itself is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. And you come across this word mystery in the writings of Paul, especially. And when you read about this word mystery, you come across it in Paul's writings, it doesn't mean something you cannot understand. Uh, it doesn't mean something that's completely bamboozling you as you look at it. It's actually to do with what is partially revealed in the Old Testament. And he talks here about the prophetic writings having made it known. But it's, uh, as you find uh, in Ephesians, especially chapter 3, it makes it clear there what this mystery is. And the mystery is explained there as the... Uh, the, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, there's a lot of, of teaching in that itself, but what Paul means by this is the the way in which the revelation of salvation in Christ came gradually to be revealed, but especially now revealed in the New Testament age. Christ himself having come, Christ having died, Christ having risen from the dead, ascended to glory, the Holy Spirit having come, and with the power of the Holy Spirit led the apostles first, then the church afterwards into a better, greater understanding of the truth. It's a real widening out of the truth of God, of God's revelation of himself. And now he's saying this has been disclosed through the prophetic writings that has been made known to all the nations. So it's a strengthening, a strengthening according to the gospel. And the gospel itself is preceded by the prophetic writings of the Old Testament, which led the way to the coming of Christ and the, the writings of the apostles. But that brings us to the second point, which is evangelizing. It has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, according to the command of, of uh, made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God. See, up to the coming of Christ, God's revelation of himself and of salvation, of redemption, was largely confined to the people of Israel the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, you might say. But of course, one of the great emphases from the time of Christ onwards is that the Gentiles have to be incorporated, as we mentioned, in regard to the mystery, as he calls it. And for the Gentiles to be incorporated, the Gentiles are you and I, people who are not of a Jewish background. And to be incorporated into the church, it's by means of the gospel. 
And by means of the gospel, that mystery is, large, uh, is then unfolded more and more. And uh, uh, as the Gentiles come to be included, it is uh, a new insight into uh, the nature of God's church. Because it's not that God had a church in the Old Testament, uh, and then he has a church now in the New Testament. It's not that he had a church comprised mostly of Jewish people, but from the time of Christ onwards, he has church comprised of Gentiles as well as Jews. God has only one church right through from the beginning of time. A church that experiences increasingly God's revelation of himself. And as you find that from the Old Testament coming into the New Testament, here is Paul saying, now it has been made known to all the nations. The gospel has gone out beyond Jerusalem. It's being carried into the world. And that message of the gospel has reached into the far corners of the world. Of course, in our own day, not that every single tribe or, or every single part of the, of the globe has been penetrated by the light of the gospel, but by and large, it is certainly the case. And this is the teaching Jesus actually gave to the disciples, and they gave to the disciples in the likes of Luke 24 on, on the, in his uh, conversation with them on the way to Emmaus. He took them back to what had happened in Jerusalem. He questioned them as if he didn't know, uh, and then he revealed himself to them. He spoke about all the things uh, beginning with uh, uh, the Old Testament, beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he revealed to them in all the word, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Himself. And from then on, the apostles took this word into the world. And you see, it's commanded here by God, made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God. Now, that reminds us of something really important something very close to Matthew 28, verses 11 to 20, which we saw recently, uh, I think it was on the morning of, of the baptisms. Um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Here is something that reminds us of that too. It's according to the command of the eternal God. Yes, we go and evangelize people around us. We go out and evangelize with the gospel of God because it's the desire of our hearts to see people converted and people saved. But what Paul is reminding us here is that behind that, there is an actual divine command. We're commanded to do it. It's not something optional. It's not something the church has actually invented. It's not something that came along somewhere uh, along uh, the, the history path from the time of Jesus to the present age or uh, in, in some earlier centuries. It is something that has been commanded by the eternal God. Why do we go out, do we go out with the gospel? Why are we still anticipating and longing to be able to go out into uh, our own locality with the gospel like we were beginning to do and, and, and doing 
over the years, but especially we had started like in Mackenzie Park, for example, uh, just before the, the lockdown came in, we had to stop that. Uh, we need to pick that up again. Why do we need to go back? Why do we need to go out to people who don't actually know the gospel with the gospel? Will God not bring them? Will God actually not save them where they are? Well, you can see from this, it's by the preaching of Jesus Christ as we come to be strengthened, so we come actually to be incorporated into the church by the preaching of Jesus Christ, by the teaching of the gospel. And we need to go with the gospel because God has commanded it. Because God is saying, go, make disciples for me. But it's his command that sends us out, not in our own strength, and just as the dynamism of God is there for the building up of his people, for the strengthening of his people. The same dynamism is there for the converting of people, for bringing them to know him as their savior. What marvelous gospel this is, because it does those two things. It brings people to know Jesus as the savior, and having come to know Jesus, that same gospel builds them up, roots them in their faith. This is our marvelous privilege tonight to know this. And to know this is uh, really so essential for us to then build on that knowledge or carry that knowledge into action in terms of making disciples and following the command of God. But you see, it's uh, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Here we are, we're still going through this long sentence, and when you think he's finished one thing, and he has, and um, it would take a lot more time than we've got tonight to look at each of these topics, and you think, well, what's next? Surely that's really enough to be going on with, and he moves on to something else, and he says something related, of course, what is the gospel about? Why does God command that we evangelize with the gospel? What is the intention? What is the purpose? Well, it's to bring about the obedience of faith. And again, if you go back to the very beginning uh, of, of Romans, that's exactly what he began with. A servant of Jesus Christ, uh, made an, uh, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And I can see all the way through there as we've read it, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. What? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You know, it's a very sad thing when the church loses sight of the purpose of the gospel, the primary purpose of the gospel. When the church takes the gospel and makes it really no more than a political or social movement. When that is the main emphasis, as sadly you find in our present day, though it's not new by any means. The aim of the gospel is not to bring about political change or social change. These things may be carried in with it, certainly. And of course, social change is important to bring people uh, from poverty to actually have a more meaningful life, all of these things. But the main purpose, the primary purpose of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, faith in Christ, putting your trust in Christ, and that um, involves essentially the element of obedience. Uh, faith it's not just believing some things to be true or some things have that some things have taken place in the history of the world. Faith is placing your trust and confidence in Christ, giving yourself over to Christ. 
for him to be your master, for him to direct your life, for him to save you from your sins. That is the purpose of the gospel. And so that obedience of faith is one of the uh, elements that we keep in mind when we actually are dealing with the world around us and seeking to present the gospel to them. Everything, of course, to the glory of God as he finishes, as, as we'll see with the final point. But you see how he's, how he's going through these points, reminding us, yes, we are being strengthened according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, which itself is according to the revelation. It's an amplification of the revelation of the mystery that was kept for so long secret or largely covered, but now has been disclosed. And has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. When you're praying for people to be converted to the gospel, that's what you're praying for. You're praying that they'll come to the obedience of faith. That they will come willingly and lovingly to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord. That they will come to be obedient to him. And that we ourselves as Christians will follow through with um, the obedience that coming to Christ involves. So that that is deepened and our understanding is deepened and our commitment is deepened. And our response to being in Christ is enlarged in terms of our coming uh, to serve him in the world. It's for our strengthening. It's for our evangelizing. Seeking by God's power and grace that people will come to the obedience of faith, uh, to be committed to Christ, to be saved under his lordship. But he's now reached the point for which, which he intended uh, from verse 25, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. To the only wise God. Isn't that a precious emphasis? Because everything to do with this, right through from the beginning of verse 25, indeed for the whole of Romans and all uh, the rest of God's revelation, but let's just confine it to this. Everything to do with this salvation, everything to do with these elements, these points that Paul is drawing, drawing our minds to, is according to the wisdom of God. It is uh, to the wise God that we give glory. I think it's one of the most essential things uh, that we need to keep putting to ourselves as we experience life's changes, that God is wise. That God only is wise with perfect wisdom. And when he changes my life about here and there, and gives me different uh, experiences from one week to the next, or even from one day to the next. Am I going to stop believing that he's wise just because I don't understand and follow all the different ways in which these uh, avenues of experience lead me? Of course not. God and God's wisdom are essential to our understanding of the gospel, of salvation, of our own development as Christians. To the only wise God, never doubt the wisdom 
of God. Never think that somehow or other God has ceased to be fully wise. That somehow or other he really doesn't know what he's doing. However much it baffles us, however much it fails to, uh, we fail to understand the ways of God. And if we understood all the ways of God, we would be God. Never ever doubt his wisdom. Never think that somehow what he's doing in your life is not according to his wisdom, his plan, his purpose, the final end that he has in view for his people. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Well, even the ascription of praise and the bringing of glory to God is through Jesus Christ. Everything goes through Jesus Christ. Our experience of redemption and what it is. Our experience of God's comfort, of God's guidance, our experience of forgiveness, our experience of every single thing we are and know in relation to God as our Savior, as our God. It's through Jesus Christ. And as you go on into eternity, and you think about as far as possible, though it's not very far, what heaven is going to be like. To be in the very immediate presence of God. Even there it is through the mediation of Christ that we come in perfection to enjoy the beauty of God, to worship him in perfection. It's through Christ. It's because of Christ. It's in Christ. To him be glory, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless these thoughts on his word.